0: Turn your Bibles over to the 6th chapter of Galatians, and we'll use that for the basis of our study this morning. Galatians, the 6th chapter, and beginning with verse 7, I want to encourage especially the young people, too, to listen to what is said, and if you have a Bible, to follow along, because although it affects all of us, uh, the younger you are, the more of this you've got time to do and the way that you're going to affect your life in so many ways. And what I mean by that, the the young among us are are not married yet, Uh, you have not yet had the experience of raising children, you haven't made many of the important decisions of life, and man, if you can grab hold of this principle early in life, the very earliest the better, you can really save yourself a lot of heartache and add a lot of blessing and contentment and happiness to your life none of us can be so old, but that we really began to put this principle to practice, we reap benefits, and I believe wholeheartedly we reap the benefits in direct proportion uh, to the way that we're able to adhere to it. Now here's the principle. Uh, The sixth chapter, beginning with verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, let's go back and read it again, so we can get this whole thing set in our mind, and we'll talk about it. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man who reaps, a man reaps what he sows. In other words, the person who thinks that he can sow one thing in life and reap something else, Paul said, is deceived. If I can sow one thing and reap something else, then God will stand mocked, Because God said I can't. That I'm going to reap as I sow. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Uh, The sinful nature is, is used as that part of us that just simply has desires and has to be controlled by our spirit. And so our physical body uh, just simply has desires. And there are certain things within us that revolve around the pride of life, uh, the things that we see with our own eyes. And it's our spirit uh, that determines whether we're going to just satisfy the desires or we're going to follow something else. So the one who sows to please his spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. And so the spirit... Uh, has things that he wants us to do. God is spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. The laws, the commands, the teaching uh, are the is God's will for us. Uh, Paul said that nobody knows the mind of God, but the spirit of God has searched out the mind of God and revealed it to us in words of the spirit's choosing. You and I have a spirit. Our spirit is made an image of God. And so to the extent that that we look at the things that God wants out of us and to the extent that we look at the ways that the Spirit would have us live and we identify with that spiritually and do it, he says we're going to reap. Okay, we're going to reap. The end result will be eternal life. He goes on to make the observation, let us not become weary and well in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest. In other words, he states that you may not reap what you sow immediately. And there would be the possibility of becoming weary and doing what is good because you don't seem to be reaping what you've sown. But he says, no, hang in there. If you sow in a certain way, you will reap. And so don't become weary in doing good simply because you don't reap good right away. At the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those of the family of believers. I might add, the same is true of doing wrong. What do you think would happen happen when it comes to the process of doing wrong if immediately, every time we did wrong, we immediately reap the consequence? Now, sometimes we do. I'd say we probably wouldn't do wrong as much as we do. When you do what is wrong the consequence is not always immediate, Uh, it's on down the road. And when you do what is right, the benefit is not always immediate, Uh, it's on down the road. And so we make any number of choices as we go through life that at the moment may not affect you in a positive or a negative way. A, A simple physical example, a simple decision that you make at, say, eight years of age, And so you say, I'm going to brush my teeth on a regular basis. Another person says, that's crazy, I'm not going to brush my teeth. Well, are they they going to reap anything one way or the other in a few days' time? They're not, okay? One of them makes a decision, he says, I'm going to eat a certain way, and the other one says, that's nonsense, I'm going to eat exactly what I want, and all of it I want. Are they each going to reap immediately? They're not. Uh, It's going to be on down the pike. We realize that. Uh, with any number of areas, that the way you, when you're changing your oil at at ten thousand miles, uh, it's your third oil change, and the other fellow's gone ten thousand miles and, and hasn't changed his. Do um, you know? There's probably not been, not even if you if you both got the same vehicle and you bought it new, there's probably very little if any difference in the performance of that vehicle at that point. But if you continue on that course. Uh, there, there's going to be a difference on, on down the way in the way we treat that vehicle, whether it's something that simple or, or any number of other things. And so this is what Paul is saying when he says, be not deceived. You see, if, if you got immediate, immediate result from what you sowed, there'd be no chance of you ever being deceived. Would there? How could you be deceived? How could I ever be deceived if I always got immediate, immediately what I've sowed? I couldn't. But the reason it is possible to be deceived on this is that we don't always reap immediately what we've sowed. That sometimes the harvest is 10 years down the pike, or 20 years down the pike, or 5 years down the pike, or 3 weeks over here, or 2 weeks, or, or whatever it is. And so as a result, it's easy to be deceived, and think I've got by with something, or hey, I don't care what they say, this works for me, because the, the reward, or the consequence, is not immediately. Now, Let's modify this a bit, and then we'll look at it more in detail. You can be sitting there thinking uh, that, uh, well, I know you don't always reap exactly as you sow, uh, even in the long run here on this earth. I know so-and-so that is a good person, and such-and-such happened to them. I know so-and-so that is a bad person, and such-and-such happened to them. That was very good. That's true, and this is, we're going to modify our statement here. There are five billion people on this earth, and we're all sowing. And so, within this framework, where you're sowing individually, there's five billion other people out there. And so, many there are a number of times when you and I, as individuals, will reap something we didn't sow because we live in a world where five billion people are sowing. And so, you could very easily be out on the highway, sober as you can be, driving within the speed limit, on your side of the road, being as careful as you know how to be, and some intoxicated individual run over you and kill you. that could vary you did not reap as you sowed, but the truth but from the standpoint of the principle, as a society, we did reap as we sowed, didn't we? Because as a society, we endorse alcoholic beverages as a society, we allow it to be advertised on TV as a society, we put forth all kinds of pictures and advertisements that it's good for you and it helps you get all the gusto out of life and it. It, it makes you more athletic, and it makes you more sexual, and it makes you more everything, you know. You just have more fun. And so that's the society. And and we're very lax on our treating of, of, of the consequences of that kind of thing. So it's true that you as an individual didn't reap exactly what you sow, but it doesn't negate this principle. Society has, as a group has reaped exactly what it sowed. You may be a person that is very conscientious in any number of areas, and yet suffer consequences in those areas by somebody that is not as conscientious. So we're saying that that does not negate the principle of reaping and sowing, it's just to say there's a lot of us down here that are in the sowing business. The Does God Exist program by John Clayton, he deals with this principle of uh, good people who suffer in so many ways through natural calamities, acts of God. And the argument of the atheist is there is an example that people do not reap as they sow. And some of the things he brings out, John, by the way, for those of you that don't know him, John is a scientist. He has three master's degrees in three different sciences. He's a former atheist. He lectures on the existence of God. He points out some very interesting things. For years, I didn't know this, tornadoes or... At certain times of the year, we really have them in this country, don't we? At certain times of the year. And how many times does a tornado whip in and kill several hundred people and pick houses up, and we say, Hey, that was, picks up a church building sometime, doesn't it? There's been times where people were worshiping God, and tornado hit and, and killed some of them. We say, Hey, that, what happened here? That's an act of God. I don't understand this. That God is creating a situation that uh, people can reap as they did not sow. John deals with this, and this is very interesting. I found it interesting. Did you know that when man came to America, tornadoes were, the white man came, that tornadoes were actually, actually unknown? That in most of the world today, that tornadoes do not exist, it's primarily an American phenomenon? Did you know that? I didn't. We, in our society, build these great big centers of concrete, parking lots, cities, where there's just miles and miles and miles of concrete. okay. What happens to concrete when the sun hits? It heats up, right? And it, it doesn't absorb the heat, it, it radiates it out. And so you walk in town, and it's always hotter than in the country on a sunny day. I know that uh, I was just in a town situation. You know when you go to Chattanooga, and you walk out on that hot parking lot, and man, it feels 15 degrees hotter than it is over here, and sometimes more, because it's absorbing and radiating out. Well, all of that cement that we have We've got, and we had to cut down a lot of trees to get that, that absorbs heat, has a part in causing tremendous bodies of heat to rise up in an unnatural way. And the end result of that phenomenon, coupled with the fact that we have destroyed a big chunk of our forest, is the creation of tornadoes. Tornadoes are man-caused. They wouldn't exist except for the way we handle our environment. And in countries that handle their situation different than we do, they don't have a problem with them. As they become more westernized and civilized, they begin to have a problem with tornadoes. So that's interesting. So here's an innocent person in a church building, and a tornado has has destroyed that building. Did he as an individual reap as he had sown? No. Does that negate the principle? No. He lives in a society where 5 billion people are sowing, so far as the globe is concerned. But every time there's a tornado, we as a society, as a people, are reaping not what God is thrown at us. It's not some act of God. God's not some wicked person up there throwing tornadoes at us. But it is a natural phenomenon that's, I should say, an unnatural phenomenon that's created by the way that we have treated our environment. Okay, sometimes it, hurricanes happen. And innocent people are killed. And they say, how could this be? Act of God. They didn't reap as they sown on that. Does a hurricane ever kill people in a place where the having of a hurricane is a surprise to those people? Do we tend to know the parts of our country that, uh, I mean, where do you want to live when they're having a hurricane? On the seacoast or back off the coast a few miles? Did you know that we know that if you live on the seacoast, that every X amount of years, there's going to be a hurricane come through and wipe out everything. We know that. But despite the fact we know that, we continue to build right on the seacoast, because we like it. And so then we sit back and we say, an act of God, and these people have not written, no, individually, probably not. But as a collective body, they made a decision to not respond to what they know about hurricanes. By the way... Hurricanes, I found this out too. I I learn all kinds of things every time I'm around, John. Hurricanes are important to nature. Did you know the reason? I didn't know this either. The reason that they're having so many problems in Florida about uh, houses that are sinking in and their underground water supply is being depleted. You know what what furnishes that underground water supply and and where they get their fresh water from? Hurricanes. What they need in Florida is, is a number of good hurricanes. They haven't had any good ones in a while. And so they need it. Earthquakes. Act of God. People always say they don't reap as they sow. Well, what about that? First of all, earthquakes are important to our earth. If there was no earthquakes at all, then eventually the oceans would totally erode all the land and we'd all be underwater. Earthquakes serve a function in their constant moving of the land. Volcanoes serve a function. So these things serve a positive function in the renewing and building of land here on the Earth, and changing it for the good. But what happens? Man makes a decision. Have the scientists told us there's a very high probability of an earthquake out there in the Los Angeles, San Francisco area within our generation? Has that slowed anybody down in building houses out there? It hasn't. What about Memphis? Has that slowed anybody down in building houses in Memphis? It hasn't. Did you know that in all over the world, in the places where we're most likely to have an earthquake, we already know, we just don't know when, and yet we make decisions to not live up to our knowledge basis in in that area? The point is, I'm saying that the principle of reaping and sowing, I'm trying to get across, is a 100% true principle. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way because we don't look at all the facts. And also, we've got to keep in mind that sometimes innocent people do reap as they have not sown because they live in a society where there's five billion of us sowing, but they're reaping the consequences of what somebody sowed. But I'm saying the principle of reaping as you sow is a true principle. And Paul said the person is going through life deceived who thinks that's not so, that God would stand mocked if you don't reap as you sow. And so as a society, we do. But now, our lesson this morning, in our lesson this morning, we want to look at the individual. Because there's too many things about society that we have no control over, right? So let's just accept the fact that as we talk about this, reaping as you sow, that it doesn't happen perfectly to you as an individual. We already know that. You could right now be harboring a disease in your body that is not your fault at all. That on the workforce, or something you breathed in the air, uh, remember the, the man who's president now? Anybody keeping it up with his sickness? Remember when he had the heart problems? And he found out it wasn't a heart problem, that it was his thyroid gland? And then what did they find out? His wife had the same problem. Then what did they find out? The dog had the same problem. So they went and checked the water supply at the, at where he at the home where he lived, where he was vice president for eight years. He and his wife and his dog Drinking that that water on a regular basis, and they found that had a very high lead content. Perfectly innocent person, suffering that kind of consequence. So you and I can be a perfectly innocent person, suffering in our body because of things that we've come in control with, that, that we have no control over, but it will still be reaping as sown from a society standpoint but let's just take for granted we understand that there are things there that none of us have any control over whatsoever, okay? I don't and you don't. But in our lesson, we're going to deal with you and I as individuals, and there are a multitude of things that you and I have control over that will determine the quality of our life, however much of it do we have here, okay? And and you can have it hopefully fixed in your mind that this business of, of reaping as you sow is a truth of God. And, and he lets us know it and warns us and tells us that, that there are certain things we can have, uh, there are certain consequences we can spare ourselves if we respect uh, these principles. Okay. He says, so to the Spirit, right? And we talked about the, the Spirit has given us information. It teaches us how to live. All right, I'm not talking to any of you people that are already married. Okay, We've all made our decisions. We're married. Whether we made a good one or a bad one, We're in that situation right now, okay? And and then the next step for us is to do something else, you know, if it was a bad one. So I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you young people that are not married. The scriptures teach believers very plainly to marry believers. It teaches them not even to be yoked together with unbelievers in such a way that they might have the upper hand over you in in any way and influence you in a negative way. Solomon's first great sin was marrying foreign wives that led to his downfall. As you read about the destruction of the earth by the flood in Genesis 6, the first thing is mentioned is the sons of God looked on the sons of the daughters of men, saw that they were fair, and began to marry them. And so the people that had strong convictions about God began to marry among those based on physical attraction. They picked their mate based on physical attraction, number one criteria, even though they didn't believe in God. And the end result is the next statement you read is how wicked that man was becoming. Remember with the Israelites, how they were warned in that area. So I suggest to you, young people, one of the most important decisions you're going to make in life is the picking of a mate. Marry a Christian. Notice I didn't say a church member. You're a Christian, I hope it's a church member but a Christian, somebody that believes in Jesus, believes in God, believes in that relationship. Did you know that of all the belief systems in the world, Christianity is unique in teaching? That marriage ought to be unto death do you part, and the marriage bed be undefiled, and each person be faithful to the other. Did you know that's unique to Christianity? You know anything about the Muslim religion? A good Muslim man can have four wives. and the wives are a piece of property the Hindu not much better the wife a piece of property the Jews walking as a devout Jew what did Peter think and the apostles when Jesus said that, that, uh, that you cannot just divorce at will in the way you've been doing that God never intended this that Moses because of the hardness of your heart allowed this kind of thing shocked Peter didn't he the Jews don't buy into that There's some cult Christian groups that practice polygamy. Christianity, as taught in the New Testament, is unique in all the world's teaching, in teaching that a man and woman are equal, that they are to be united in one flesh, that God intends for that marriage to be unto death, do they part? And that they have a certain commitment and treat one another in a certain way. The man is taught to love his wife and treat her as an extension of his own own flesh. She's taught to respect him and love him and act towards him in a certain way. Each are taught to look at the other's body as belonging to themselves and to recognize that in that relationship. And so when you marry a Christian, I'm talking about a really Christian now, not just somebody that goes to church because his parents have taken him to church or her to church. And we know that church has got a lot of people that are there because they've just grown up in that situation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a Christian. A person who honestly and sincerely has their trust in Jesus and is striving to emulate them, male or female, in their life. That You can't make a better decision. So if you want to start off reaping a good life, marry a Christian. I've, I've used my mother as an example sometimes in, in Mother's Day lessons. Uh, my mother was an outstanding mother. I'm very, a very fortunate person. But she knows about this business of Reaping and so on. When she married, she did not marry a Christian. And most of the consequences that came in her life and came in my life, in the life of my brothers and sisters, came because my mother did not marry a Christian. She's a devout believer. Uh, uh, She reads the Bible, read it to us as a child. But when she married, she did not marry a person who was a Christian. And she reaped misery as a result of it. I'm not saying that everybody does because there are a lot of people that are not Christian that have been influenced by Christian principles and, and, and will conduct themselves in a right way and all. But I'm looking at it from the, from the whole perspective. The majority of those that are not Christian do not walk with this kind of moral perspective of life. Most of the men that I have known in life that were not Christian felt no great call to be faithful to their wife. I'm saying that that's my experience with life. I'm 52. Uh, I've been in a number of places, brought up on military bases, four years in the Marine Corps, college campuses. My own experience with life is that the only people I have known, male or female, male or female, the only people I have met who believe that the sexual relationship was for marriage, and believe that the man and woman ought to be faithful to one another, the only people I've met that really practiced that have been Christians. Now, a lot of Christians have made mistakes in that area. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the only people I've met that believed that was right, headed in that direction, and strove to practice that. And so, young man or woman, think of that. Make that number one on your priority list, Okay. Uh, God's people are, he has just as many good-looking guys and pretty girls as the devil ever thought of having. The uh, devil has no monopoly at all on good looks. Uh, you know, they, they may have it a little more, but he's got no monopoly on it whatsoever. Uh, and anything you are attracted to, you can find it within the people of God. Okay, you're married now, you're, you're bringing up your children. And the writer tells us, here you are, you're going to reap as you sow. It says, train up a child in the way it should go, and when he gets old, he'll not depart from it. Again, I'm not saying that is an absolute truth in such a way that you can uh, be guaranteed 100% that this child's going to turn out in an exact way. It's stated as a general observation train up a child in the way it should go, and when he gets old, he'll not depart from it. But Christians are taught to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, in that instruction. I know that parents are not the only ones sowing. We mentioned there's 5 billion people here. Many times you have a good parent, but when that child goes to high school, other people are sowing a lot of things too. When they go to college, other people are sowing. When they get out the workforce, other people are sowing. And so you've got a real battle on your hand. But I'm saying as a general rule, as a general rule, we're going to reap to the extent that we sow here, to the extent that we have a part. So much so that according to Burkine and Faulkner, who are a family psychologist, that about 85% of children continue into adulthood with the same principles they had in their youth. Now think of that. According to statistics gathered by psychiatrists, by the way, Burkeen and Faulkner didn't do the study. They're talking about secular psychiatrists who have made the study and psychologists, that about 85% of young people will continue through adulthood with the same moral principles that they learned as a child. And so therefore, it's not 100% because other people are so into, and the child has choices to make when they become an adult, but we're saying that as a general rule, you cannot go wrong in bringing that child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and leading them in that way. You've got everything going for you, and to the extent that we're willing to invest in there, to that extent... I honestly believe that we can reap. Okay, we, we come from there into our everyday relations. Uh, sowing as you reap. Uh, have you ever noticed that some people tend to think that everybody is down on them? And then there's other people that just seem to feel the opposite. They seem to feel pretty positive about everybody. Have you ever noticed that in just talking with people? Have you been around people that just gripe all the time? Others don't. And yet we're living in the same world, aren't we? Is there anything any different that happens to one of us and doesn't happen to the other? We all die. All our loved ones die. We all get sick. All of our loved ones get sick. We have the same problems. We handle them in different ways. This is a quote. Let me read this so I get it right. Sandy, give this to me for a Father's Day present, and I've I've got it in my office sitting down around my desk. The world is a looking glass and gives back to each person a reflection of his attitude. Think of that. The world is a looking glass, a mirror, and it gives back to you a reflection of your attitude. When you meet this person who has a smile on their face and seems cheerful, and they actually convey to you that they like you, now, we meet those type of people. Here, they, here you meet this person. They've got a smile on their face. They actually, in whatever way, they may not say anything. It may be their actions. But they convey to you that they like you or they respect you. How do you feel towards that person? You feel pretty good, don't you? And, and then because you feel good about them, it's going to come out towards them in your conversation to them, in, in the way you act, how quick you are to respond to some need they have. We don't respond to the same degree of quickness to every need everybody has out here. People, by their own attitude in life, have a tendency to pull the best or the worst out of us sometimes. In the same vein, how do you feel when uh, this person, that, that every time you're around them, they're, they're constantly complaining? Uh, they're always criticizing somebody, they're always complaining. <laughs> I've got a few that when I see them, I want to go the, the opposite direction. I, I know as soon as I see them, they're going to criticize somebody or they're going to complain. And I actually try, when I find out a person, I try to avoid that person because they can destroy your day. On the other hand, the people that are the opposite, I'll go out of my way to have contact with them. We all like to be around an individual that has a good sense of humor, right? I'm not a humorous person, I tend to be very serious-minded, but I love being around people who do have a good sense of humor. They just make me feel good. So, what he's saying here is that even when it comes to... Now, notice now, I'm not saying this in the sense that if we're what we should be in our attitude, that everything's always going to be perfect, because we've said that there's everybody else out there reaping and sowing too. And you can be sowing some right things, and somebody over here sowing a lot of negative things that's affected you in some way, right? That, that definitely can be. But I'm saying that from within that framework, within that framework, the things we have control over, that as a general rule, that you and I as individuals can reap a lot of good out of our relationships with other people by being a certain way ourselves. And, and, and if we're the type of person that everybody always seems down to us, then maybe we ought to examine ourselves. If, if everybody seems like they don't like us, maybe we ought to examine ourselves. And maybe when we see these individuals that are well-liked, maybe that's no accident that they're reaping some things that they've sown. Young people, as you go through school, anybody that doesn't want to have friends? Tim, Johnny, you like to have friends? Sure you do. Uh, You like to have friends, you like to have people to like you, treat you in a certain way. One of the problems sometimes young people, I'm not talking about you, Tim and Johnny, I'm talking about those of us, I was young too. We sometimes want these things, but we don't know how to get it. You know, I I try to teach little boys over at school that this little girl you like, the, the, the best way to impress her with the fact you like her Is not to spit on her or or hit her in the head with a paper wad or or, or say that's the kind of little things that boys do, you know, or 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 spit food on the table or something like that, trying to catch her attention. I say that you that's not the kind of things that you do to impress that little girl, you know, or or the old macho thing where you're going to fight somebody. That's generally not impressive, uh, you know. That we respond to kindness. We we respond to courtesy. And so when we, when we treat people in a kind way, we treat them in a courteous way, we're polite to them, we're considerate of their feelings, then we have a tendency to pull certain qualities out of them. When we're not considerate of their feelings, when we're not kind, we're not courteous, we're not polite, we have a tendency to pull negative things. And see, with kids, this, you, you can really see the sword in reaping with kids, because see, you and I as adults are pretty good at putting on a front And also, we've got ourselves under control. Somebody can treat us bad and we can still, based on our belief structure, treat them pretty good. And so most of you, I know, that if somebody is treating you bad, you'll still go ahead and treat them good because of what you believe. Kid's not this way. Respond immediately. And you treat treat a kid bad and he's gonna come (laughs) right back at you, or she. And so we have war. And so man, if there's anybody that can reap this immediately almost, it's, it's young people because they're, they're not as reserved in the control of their emotions and all. And if they're willing to get in and, and do these things, and, and this TV you see has got all this macho-ness in your life, and you, the, you, the guys are supposed to be impressed by being macho and tough and dangerous and all that good stuff, and the little gals are supposed to impress by being uh, sexy and outgoing and coming a long way with their Virginia Slims and all that good stuff. Uh, but they've messed up the minds of our, our young people. Uh, and I would su- simply suggest, man, don't take my word for it. Try it. And I think you'll like it. Uh, forget about what's on TV and try this approach. Treat people in a courteous, nice, polite way. Be considerate of their feelings. Uh, be kind. Uh, be unselfish. And see what happens. And I believe you'll have more friends all the way through school than you know what to do with. We, we reap as we sow, in so many ways, as a congregation. The, the kind of fellowship that we have here is, is strictly up to us. Um, God can give us information, but we're going to reap as we sow. If we make an effort to involve ourselves in one another's lives and be in tune to one another's needs, uh, if, if we hurt with one another and laugh with one another and, and we're very in tune to this, then you're going to have a great family here. We can have a great family uh, that's an enjoyment to everybody. If we're very individualistic, uh, everybody go their own way. I'll take care of myself, you take care of yourself. Um, if we're not as in tune to needs, if we're not willing to make the effort to get involved with one another now, then we won't have that kind of relationship. It, it, we'll reap as we sow uh, in our own fellowship. We'll reap exactly as we sow in many ways. When it comes to the spreading of the gospel reaching others for Christ. Remember the parable of the sower. Well, you can't reap anything if you don't sow seed. No congregation can. And so if we as individuals are willing to sow seed, you know what Paul is saying here? Reaping. If you can get out there and live good, clean Christian lives and be a light in the community and, and have a a good knowledge and information basis of the word of God so that you can talk with people and put those principles in their mind and study with them and things of this nature. If you can do that and not be any effect for God and not lead anybody to Christ, then God stands mocked because he says you can't do it. Uh, Jesus said that if if we live like we should, then the world out there will begin to compliment you and glorify the Father in heaven, that they will recognize that as a light. That... um, Peter spoke to a woman that was married to a man who was not a believer in 1 Peter 3. And he told this woman, by her chaste and becoming behavior, by her Christ like demeanor, to lead that man to Christ. Uh, I've had times when I studied with a mate that was not a Christian. The woman was, the man wasn't. And after being around them just a short time, I knew I was wasting my time because of the type of person she was, and she was a Christian. And I've been around other couples where you just had the feeling that you had to reach him because of what she was. I say that in the he/she from that standpoint because my experience is most of the time it's the woman that's the believer and the man that's not. We, by the way, we uh, the women maybe because of their involvement with the children, whatever the reason, they tend to be more in tune to uh, to spiritual things on the whole than uh, than men. Uh, the lady, the man I mentioned to you a few weeks back uh, that we Barbara and I met at the. Uh, uh, program that John Clayton had, that coming from an unbelieving background and now a devout Christian, and I'd studied with him. Other people had studied with him, but the most important person in his conversion, and it took place over a period of about 20 years, I guess. Uh, the most important person was his wife. Uh, everybody knows that. I would have never had a chance to study with him had it hadn't been for her. Uh, she was the most important person, a very devout Christ-like individual and who was very concerned about her husband through all those years, and she just kept plugging away and plugging away and plugging away, and then we met him, and he's now a devout Christian. Uh, In fact, uh, so devout that the first year of his conversion, he turned off the TV completely and read the Bible through a couple of times, and just set set, set that to his task. We could go on. Suffice it to say, I believe we all understand what Paul is saying here. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. He that sows to his flesh or his sinful nature, from that shall reap destruction. We can have the kind of marriages, the kind of children, the kind of relationships, the kind of fellowship that we really want to have if we're willing to go to the effort and sow in the way that God has asked us to. You have control of your life. And you can have the kind of life you want if you're willing to sow in the way that God asks you to. Let's conclude our study for this morning. If there is anybody among us that is not yet a Christian, if you know and understand and believe already the good news of the salvation that you can have in Jesus and desire to respond, you have that opportunity. Salvation is a simple matter of repenting of your sins and putting your trust in the sacrifice of Christ. Then expressing that trust by acknowledging with your mouth Jesus as Lord. And then in your baptism being identified with him. Identified with his death, burial, and resurrection and the remission of your sins. If you're not a Christian and desire to become one, we give you the opportunity.